Ah, uh, yeah. Could there be a better intro? We're we're uh, going through. Bruce Springsteen, born to run. Hey, this is Karak Hendricks. This road is mine. Uh, it is Father's Day when we're recording this, so it's a very fitting day that not only do I have my son Cohen, but I also have my dad Brent Bexon across the, uh, I would say across the pond, but uh, no, there's no pond. It's just province. across the province. <laughs> Let's say the province. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, We've got you there. Um, very fitting. Springsteen is a, is a big deal. Uh, I'd say he's your guy's father. He's definitely ours. Um, <laughs> Grandpa Bruce. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can go with that Pretty one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bruce is uh, like when uh, yeah when Brett and I first met, uh, we bonded over our loves of uh, hot food, hatred of mushrooms, and uh, and a clear adoration for uh, the boss. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> among many other things, but uh, um, so we're got to start somewhere. Well, exactly, and and what a better uh, you know better place to start. Um, we uh, so we're going to talk about Born to Run. I think. The reason I wanted to, to use Born to Run is because, well, Clarence died, uh, what was the date? It June was, 18th, so 10 years it? ago. Okay, 2011 or 2010? 20... Uh, 2011. Okay, wow, so it's, it is 10 years, okay. 10 years, yeah. And he features prominently on the full uh, gatefold cover of uh, Born to Run. I love this cover. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to fill uh, your grandson in on, on the significance of the Clarence photo? <laughs> well, it's it's the... I mean, you have to go back to the beginning. Like one of the things that's been coming up, of course, with the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, talking about Bruce being um, having a you know a mo- almost an all black band or mostly black band for you know when it was <laughs> when it was certainly not uh, not well known to be mixed race bands. I mean, yeah. it was out there, but for him to be you know from the top uh, from '72 in that time period, just after the Vietnam War. Uh, Asbury Park was uh, was a hotbed of racial tension, and, yeah. and he was just he could have cared less. <laughs> yeah. What was the, there was a big event there, wasn't there in Asbury Park, like a, an actual like well known historical. Yeah, there was a riot. Riot. There yeah. was a riot in '67. They burned down a bunch of the boardwalk and stuff. Oh, yeah. um, when I was there in uh, when was I there? Seventy? Mm. No. No. Ninety four. Yeah. I was in in Asbury Park, and I got in a cab, and just to make conversation with the cab driver, I said. Uh, because I noticed the town was a bit run down, right? Lots of boarded up buildings and stuff. So I said to the cab driver, how long has it been going downhill here? And he said, uh, well, I moved here in 1971 and it's been going downhill ever since. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. And then of course, when you read the history, yeah, it was like that. But in terms of the cover, I mean, it was again, just the brilliance of that folded gate with the, mm. and the, the comradeship of the two of them, yeah. uh, you know, the black, uh, the big black man with the white guy, right? The skinny yeah. white rock guitar player, right? Yeah. So Bruce looks yeah, really was, happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was, yeah. Yeah, Clarence was kind of his his foil in a way, like not not necessarily romantically, although on stage they did kiss a lot, actually. Like, <laughs> they did yeah, kiss a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah, there was a whole, like, because they were just such straight dudes, like they didn't oh. care. They were... <laughs> Uh, yeah, like Bruce would go right up to him, just like kiss him with the lips. Like they were, yeah, it was it was awesome. But um, I I always it seemed to me, and Bruce has probably talked about this, but where like he actually like really was energized from like I mean Clarence was a large, he was the big man, like he was yeah. tall and and he six could foot six. yeah, and really? and his he is still like, and I I'm no aficionado when it comes to saxophone, but. He's the best. Like I'm sorry. Yeah. Like the parts, the even though he didn't necessarily come up with all the parts, I think some of them were maybe bossed around to him by by the boss or how, by uh, uh, little Steven. How tall is Bruce then? 
Because uh, it looks five, five, eight and a half, five, nine. Yeah. <laughs> How much does he weigh? <laughs> um, well, I don't know. He's, after he's after breakfast, we, ha- we hacked <laughs> into his records. Yeah. Well, we hacked into when, his medical when his, records. When his diet was nothing but cheeseburgers and French fries, it was probably yeah. 130 <laughs> now. He's probably 180, but it's probably solid muscle yeah. now, right? Yeah. Course. He's going to live all of us. It's Yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> five, eight and a half. That's pretty short. Yeah, yeah. considering, right? Well, like, just because on the cover, yeah. he... They, Clarence doesn't look that much taller than did they well, give him bent some. Over, yeah. yeah, Clarence yeah, has kind of got his bent, hip down, yeah. and, and Bruce is probably if, standing if on a block. The, I was um, say, yeah. If you look at the picture of me and Bruce together, I'm five eight and a half. We're pretty much yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? side yeah. by side. That's right? true. So, yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. But yeah, Bruce really got like super fit. Like he was just yeah, kind of cool. what, what they'd call dick and ribs back then, I think. But uh, I think like in the '80s, like when he started doing the Amnesty International tour, he started getting really ripped. So, like I think him and Sting and Oh, Tracy yeah, Chapman were too, doing <laughs> lifting barbells and dumbbells. Cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does have very uh, nice biceps. <laughs> well, he's he's super fit. Yeah, and he's World talked about that. Yeah. yeah, and and in the book, like when you when you finally do get to read his autobiography, like he talks about like it, you know his fitness thing is really to keeps his mental health in check yeah. and stuff too. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's the man. Um, so your yeah, so your introduction to Bruce was uh, darkness, though, right? Is that yeah, well, I, I made some notes because I, I kind of wanted to make sure to get this right. So we're, I was talking in before we got online about how June seems to be such an important month um, for me and my relationship with Bruce. Um, so June 4th, 1978 was the day I was introduced to this record. Wow. And Springsteen. I mean, I'd been reading about him like I was a big uh cream and uh you know those magazines uh, those rock magazines so i'd read about guys like bruce and you know the myth was kind of there but i'd never heard a note of the music um so i was playing in a band called saturday night special and we did a gig on the saturday night so that had been june 3rd (laughs) (laughs) and then and the the sax player in saturday night special kirby hayes and uh one of the guitar players named uh, art vandenberg lived about six houses away from my parents house nice and so I got up on the Sunday morning after the gig. For some reason, I couldn't sleep in that well. And I got up and I walked down to their place about maybe 10, 11 o'clock in the morning and knocked on the door. And Art answered the door in his bathrobe. And you could tell I'd woken him up. And, and he's like, oh, come on in. So he says, oh, I'm going to take a shower. Read this. And he handed me Born to Run. Okay. And I read the lyrics from start to finish without <laughs> hearing the music. That's and cool. I was, you know, I was just blown away. Still, some of my favorite Springsteen lyrics For of sure. all time are on this record. And then he got out of the shower and he put the music on. And I, you know, like, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> like, I was just blown away. I mean, there is no better, as far as I'm concerned, there is no better first song on any record than thunder road yeah thunder road um, i just listened to this for the first time like a month ago yeah, yeah. thunder road and jungle land which is the last yeah. one were probably Absolutely. my favorites yeah. and that closes the record so, yeah yeah, yeah just a, a great bookend um yeah. but yeah the you know i read those lyrics first you know <laughs> that's you know like i said open up the gatefold and there it is you yeah. know the screen door slams mary's dress waves yeah. Um, and it is waves, not sways. Yeah, not sways. <laughs> yeah. Cohen, Cohen, you wouldn't know about yeah. this, but there's there is a bit of controversy oh, really? for some strange reason that they, people want to fight over it whether the word is waves or sways. Really? Yeah. 
it's Got written it. in in the thing. It's yeah. written as way. That but, that sounds you know, like Roy Orb- some Star Wars Roy- controversy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Roy Orbison's singing for the lonely, right? I mean, it just yeah, uh, and the harmonica. Oh man, yeah. like it just yeah. But that was so. So that was June fourth, um, and the next uh, and Darkness on the Edge of Town came out June second. So on the right. Friday before that. Yeah. So when I went to the record store on, I think I couldn't go Monday, but I think I went through the record store Tuesday or Wednesday um, and bought all the Springs, <laughs> the first <laughs> two and then Born to Run. And then, of course, Darkness on the Edge of Town was brand new. Yeah. Like it literally come out four days earlier. Yeah. Um, so that was my introduction to it. So and then the other connection to June is uh, I met Bruce on June 10th. Right. What so year was that? All within all within the same time almost the same week yeah it's like, that's crazy right. isn't it what what that's, year did you meet him again uh that's i think 2010 okay so yep. it's 11 years wow that's cool that it came around like that right. yeah, yeah same month and then you, clarence yeah. dies a year later i mean yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy yeah, yeah. it was yeah. meant to be well well unfortunately yeah or, but, yeah but. yeah amazing yeah no that's uh, and and it's uh, it does seem like uh like even like june just like the music it feels like I, it a, feels, getting ready for summer yeah, kind of thing. I yeah, I kind of uh, agree with that. Although darkness could be a fall record in some ways, it's so <laughs> it's so heavy yeah, it and dark, but still rocking. And yeah, um, did you ever like listen to any of the bootleg live stuff at any point through this? Like, I know you didn't buy a lot of them or any of them, if I recall. But did anyone have them over the years that you were, had checked out? You mean what do you mean? Like, live? like the 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 seventy eight live shows, at least in the U.S., oh. were such a, a huge like thing. No, I, I never. You know, that's that's one area that where you and I differ a little bit. You're, we're both completists, and we both have OCD, but we both <laughs> we we both treat them differently. Um, I, I was with with my Bruce obsession was I was never going to get anything outside of what was released. Yeah, you know, like. To the world so to speak so i was never one of those guys looking for the bootlegs i was never looking for the seven inch japanese singles yeah, <laughs> like, that would be i could have cared less about that i well partly i think with bruce too is he at one time i don't know if this this still holds up today but at one time he was the most bootlegged artist on the planet oh absolutely yeah right so you could go into a place like recordland in calgary and find anywhere from four to fifteen bootleg albums yeah. of Springsteen, right? Yeah. Um, and of course, with bootlegs, quality can be, Ugh. you know, up and down yeah. like crazy. So I would have never, you know, I, I could have bought something and then gone, oh, that that's terrible. It absolutely sucks. And, you know, you buy a bootleg uh, because there's one song on it that you've never heard or yeah. something, right? And uh, Yeah, I've never gone down that rabbit hole yeah. probably as deeply as you have. Well, <laughs> so. and actually, it's, and it's funny, though, I, I didn't really either on the studio stuff, but once he started officially releasing the live stuff, I, I right. thought, okay, if, if you're putting some energy into it, and I think the radio station on Sirius XM helped with that, too. You know, he was, he was one of the first, if not the first, artist to have a, his own oh, station yeah. on Sirius XM. <laughs> yeah. yeah, E Street Radio on Channel 20. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, like you know, the live stuff, of course, like was kind of legendary. That the, there were uh, the '78 tour, the Darkness tour. Cohen had uh, like, I mean, all the tours are amazing. But like the there were five shows that were aired on FM radio okay. uh, throughout the country, and then of course they would either be recorded off of the radio, or some people actually got copies of them from 
I guess the actual tapes or, oh, or yeah. vinyls. Yeah. Or I don't know how they were transmitting them then. And then you could kind of buy them illegally or whatever. And because yeah. his live performances um, are always amazing in, in that era in particular, I think yeah, I people were just yeah. cresting. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And because he was also, the stuff was coming out. So, four albums in. And then he also had songs that were being cut by other artists around this time, too. Songs, he was writing and recording so many demoing yeah. that he just couldn't release them all. So, huh. um, yeah, his the genius. classic, I think, from this time period, well, a little later, was uh, Because the Night with yeah. Patty Smith, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was from the dark darkness sessions yeah hmm. that's right uh and then fire by the pointer sisters was around right. there i think too yeah possibly yeah, yeah. Um, number one song in the world in 1978 yeah crazy yeah <laughs> hmm. um and then of course his version came out officially later like a live version uh, yeah yeah in the 80s or whatever so so his whole like th- there's a box that we'll, we may get to on this show it's a part but like with uh, it was live 75 to 85 and when that came out in 86 of course i was still a kid but I even knew that it was an event, like it was it was a five LP set, uh, oh, or yeah. actually I think it was still on eight track too. If if uh, and then three cassettes or three CDs or something, and, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean and that and that took you right from seventy five to eighty five, like live shows, and so a lot of the stuff I've been downloading uh, through the official website is is live shows like from those, like like the whole concert, even though there was only yeah. two songs on that collection or whatever. So it's really hard to separate like Bruce studio from bruce live in some ways um but you know studio he especially this album like uh, there there's a documentary called wings for wheels um when it came out and uh like a box set and yeah. he talks about like how he slaved over this record and like he just yeah. could not let it go uh they had to tear well, it from let's, his let's take hands. it back to the, so when he you think about uh, so the first and second records came out uh 72 and 73 and columbia records was just about giving up on him they basically said, you know, Born to Run is your last shot, right? Uh, if this record doesn't doesn't work, we're dropping you. And and there was a lot of uh, initially a lot of resistance to even put money behind it for promotions, um, until so this is the the most interesting thing. So Born to Run, the song Born to Run was recorded first, and he took six months to make that one song perfect. Mm, um, and that's where the obsession of the, you know, the let's make a, a Spectre record, right? The Wall of Sound, um, you know, th- apparently there was 12 acoustic guitar tracks on Born to Run. <laughs> oh, wow. Like the song? <laughs> right. I, I mean, lots of people have done that since and, and do it today, um, you know, but it's it, it, for 1974, mm-hmm. uh, for an artist who really hadn't sold a lot of records at this point, for him to actually say, yeah, I'm going to spend all this time and money on this and... Uh, they were working in a less than great studio as well at the time. Yeah. Uh, and this is also when uh, John Lando came in to play. So John Lando, uh, to give context, was a was basically a critic, a rock and roll critic. Okay. And he had written the, the famous line, uh, um, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and his name is Bruce Springsteen, right? Oh, and that became yeah. the catchphrase that the record company threw on everything. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And Bruce hated that. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and he hated it, yeah. For but sure. then he wouldn't want it any other way, I think he said as well. <laughs> oh, <later>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, yeah, so he brought, uh, when he brought John Lando, and Lando was sort of the guy who first walked in the studio during Born to Run sessions and said, you know, you guys, what your ambition is here, what you're trying to do is wonderful, but you're probably not going to capture it in this studio. So he moved them to the record plant, uh, which is obviously a famous recording studio in New York City now. But uh, back then, it was, it was still a big studio. But 
Um, and that kind of changed everything. That's when all of a sudden it started to come together. So they had the song finished and basically the record company and said, you, you give us a single first mm-hmm. before you fe- finish the record. So he spent six months working on one song, yeah. <laughs> handed it into the record company. And of course they were blown away. And that's when things turned when the record company said, all right, we're going to up the budget for promotions and everything else. But Bruce also released it to, um, well, Orlando released it to some of the radio stations yeah. in the area, mm-hmm. or I shouldn't say in the area, basically people that were big supporters of Bruce's, even through the first and second record, oh, that yeah. were playing his stuff on the radio. There's a, the famous guy is a kid Leo in yeah. Cleveland and he would play born to run. Like, so Bruce gives, he gets an advanced copy of the single, you know, literally almost a year before the album came out. And uh, and refused to stop playing it. <laughs> the, record co- the record company gave it to him and said, "Here, you know, listen to this and let, let us know what you think." And instead, he puts it on the air and keeps playing it every Friday afternoon at five o'clock to kick off the weekend. Oh yeah, right. So it, it had this snowball effect of uh, you know, and obviously a great track, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was what started, and then they went back and finished the rest of the record, right? But yeah, crazy. So um, what what year did you become a Springsteen fan? Uh, 78. Okay. So you, so when you were, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but you still would have been able to follow along with him as, well, like like I said, like I was, I was listening, I was reading cream magazine and crawdaddy. So there were stories about this guy and and, the legend. And of course the comparisons to, uh, uh, to the Bob, you know, the Bob Dylan curse, right? (laughs) He was a new Dylan. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, so I knew who he was, but just hadn't heard the music. And then, you know, like I said, I literally got to hear the music on a Sunday morning and went the yeah. next, he'd released Darkness on the Edge of Town the previous week, so. Yeah, yeah that would have been cool to be a, a fan as more stuff was coming out, too. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and being a fan and watching his rise, I yeah, mean, be... uh, like for me, of course, this this is where the generational situation happens, right? Like, so mm-hmm. my, my impact was clearly born in the USA, like, I'll never forget, like, I mean, the Glory Days video, the, the I'm on Fire video, like those were movies and I was like glued every time. And the songs were almost like, uh, like, of course, they're the great songs, but like they're, they were almost secondary for me. Like Bruce was more of a visual thing for me. It, the the right. um, the archetypal, like, you know, the baseball guy and the, mm-hmm. the cap in the back of the jeans. And, yeah, and yeah. like he kind of created that whole Americana. Well, he probably wasn't the only one, but he, for me, really like epitomized like that. Like, like you can be rural, but you're not a hick and you're not a cowboy. Like they're so, and that working man sort of thing. He gives me a like good, um, you could say like a a vibe. I suppose that uh, he's like 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 as you should be like proud to be American, but mm-hmm. not necess- that doesn't mean you're proud of not of everything. What's happening? Yeah. Well, the highs and the lows. He's he's the best example yeah. of someone that. Uh, clearly born in the USA it was a misunderstood song mm-hmm. um, you know it was about Vietnam and about how we or they we they, they don't <laughs> yeah. treat our you know our vets well um, yeah and he's always been a, a, even later there was a song called 41 Shots that he did it was about when the cops they threw literally 41 shots into this this innocent black dude like and yeah. that was back in like 2000 2001 he was doing the song yeah. live and the cops would like walk out of the shows live oh, yeah yeah, it was a yeah. He's always kind of stood for what he believes in, um, and come hell or high water. And I think that's why, like, even for myself, just as a, as a human being, I think like I've always found it it's okay to relate to my my family and my friends from from back home, but not necessarily agree with all their mm-hmm. stuff because like yeah. it, it's not that simple. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Lloydminster would have had, I mean, a similar situation too. I mean, that, you know, it's an oil patch town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruce often sings from that, you know, that like in, in his case, it was what this, the steel mills and the, yeah. uh, whatever else was kind of going on out in, on the East coast there in the U S um, and he, he, and he famously says too, like, you know, he was singing about and for the working man, but he had really never worked a day in his life. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he had enough humility, you know, and, yeah. ball, and balls to admit it. And, yeah. and, and his dad was one of those, I think, yeah. right, in a way. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. What a storyteller. Yeah. And so, and so Asbury Park is that actually like where he's from? Or? Mm, Freehold, well, technically, right? Born and raised in Freehold, which is about 20 miles away. Yeah. So, where is Asbury uh, Park? Right on the coast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about an hour and a half south of uh, New York City. Okay. <clears throat> so when I went to when I went to New York City in 1994 with the company I was with, um, I got on a bus on the Saturday morning and went to Asbury Park. Yeah. Um, As one a, does. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> everybody else, everybody else went to see the Statue of Liberty, and I went. To, <laughs> yeah, of course. Jersey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's about a ninety-minute bus ride. I took it right out of uh, cent- um, Central Station in downtown New York City and got on the bus and went out there. And um, but it's 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 almost more like sort of his spiritual home. Danny DeVito mm-hmm. was actually born and raised in. Oh right, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, <laughs> oddly enough. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just where all. I mean, that's where the Stone Pony Bar is, which he played repeatedly, repeatedly over the years. Um, and still does once in a while, yeah. right? Kind of thing. So it became kind of, it, and all that, all up and down the, sh- the shore, apparently in that, uh, you know, I don't know how, what, how much a radius, but, you know, every little bar, every little seaside town had a little bar and they had a band, right? Yeah. So they could play all over that little area. But, but Asbury Park was sort of the, the place that's claimed him as, the, you know, their spiritual mm-hmm. son kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, um, okay. so when I was in, uh, again, I know that these uh, these podcasts, being one of the one of the handful of people that listens to every podcast you guys do, <laughs> <laughs> the only some, handful uh, of a, like a skill. Well, and I know that, and Karak and I talked about this. How you know most of your episodes end up being an hour, and I was like, yeah, yeah, we'll be lucky if we finish in ninety minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so when I when I got to Asbury Park off the bus, um, you know, I went down to the boardwalk immediately and then um i went into a 7-eleven and i asked for to buy some film and then i had this i had a book i have many books on springsteen (laughs) um but i had this book that was sort of your kind of guide book if you were going to the region so it tells you all these little places that he'd been to and you know the bars he played and and you know, at the time, there was a uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Asbury Park, New Jersey, which was, of course, almost completely dedicated to Bruce stuff. Oh, yeah. um, so I get there and I got the book in my hand and I go up to the guy at the 7-Eleven and I say, uh, can you tell me where the uh, where the Rock and Roll Museum is? I, you know, because the book even said that it moves around because it's not a, you know, nobody's paying a lot of money to have this thing open. So it's not in a permanent home. Right. And um, he's so the guy looks at me and he goes, um, Oh, uh, must be a Bruce fan. I go, yeah. And he says, where are you from? And I said, Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and he, he starts laughing and he calls his buddy, the other guy working at the 7 and says, hey man, this guy came all the way from Canada to see Asbury Park. And so I asked him where this museum was. He goes, uh, well, it's in Cleveland now. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> Like, yeah, they took all the stuff that was here, the little bit that was here, and moved it to the actual Rock and Roll Museum. <laughs> So, so anyway, I wander out of there and I go down. Of course, the first place I go to is the Stone Pony. Now, it's Saturday morning. 
about 11 o'clock, right? And I go to the front doors of the bar and it's locked. <laughs> There's nobody around. And I'm thinking, it's Saturday. I mean, if it's a bar, it should be open roughly by noon. I mean, if you look at Canada, we're open. Back then, it was like 11 a.m. Most bars open, right? So, <laughs> so I'm standing there looking at the place, holding on to the door. And this guy comes up and he says, can I help you? And I go, uh, well, uh, I was kind of hoping to get inside. Uh, is it, you know, what's the deal? Why is it closed? And he says, well, you know, we don't really open anymore unless there's a live band playing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, crap. And he's like... Uh, so I told him I came all the way from Canada and he's like, oh, well, today's your lucky day because I'm the janitor. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. So he lets me in and uh, and lets me walk around and take pictures. And yeah, so the other thing about the Stone Pony and Asbury Park, it's the very first venue that Elvis Costello played in American Soil. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like a famous bar, yeah, right? Cool. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, I walk around taking pictures and. Uh, stood on the stage and my legs started shaking <laughs> like holy crap I'm standing yeah. where he stood all yeah. the time and so I asked the guy I said so how many how many people fit into this club and it looked to me like maybe 300 people right and he says yeah I think it's, I think we're we're licensed for 350 <clears throat> and I said and how many people are here when Bruce plays here and he says about a thousand <laughs> <laughs> and so they what they do is there's a side door and uh, they basically get a bunch of big beefy bouncers and they form a flying wedge and uh, Bruce sits inside the wedge and they, they walk right through the crowd and get him on the stage. And when he's finished, they oh. do the same thing to get him off stage. Right. So yeah, but, uh, we'd have yeah. to, <laughs> what, what year was that? Uh, 94, okay. 95, 95, yeah. pardon me, September 16th, 1995. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> close to the birthday. Yeah. So yeah, yeah very close. Yeah. yeah. And so you went there specifically to, to see the, yeah, well, Bruce I was hoping to see tourism. Bruce actually, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah, no, I just to tour all the old haunts. Um, and I didn't go out to Freehold because that would have been a cab ride, and I was kind of like, well, I'll just I'll just stay in Asbury Park. So, um, but you can look at stuff that's uh, back then when I was there in '95. Uh, the Convention Hall, which is a f- sort of famous concert hall, like the Who played there. Mm. Um, I can't remember all of the Deep Purple, like oh, you know, it was a major concert hall back in the day but it when i was there in 95 it was literally a ghost building like it was broken windows and you know there was nothing in it anymore it was you know could have been condemned but they kept it and eventually they did put money back into it and rebuild it so that some of the tour what was that the is that the rising tour i think Carrick, where they rehearsed the band in the in the convention hall and oh. did some live footage and i think it was on he was on the whatever canada not canada am but the american oh like good morning america or something yeah yeah i think so yeah i remember that yeah yeah so yeah yeah there's there's so many of those venues and of course because the the u.s is so much bigger because there's so so many more people that Mm -hmm. yeah there you don't like a guy like bruce uh and a lot of other bands like jay giles band whatever like they would have these huge followings like regionally but yeah and their regionally is still probably bigger than canada right like at least as far as money and people yeah um but like bruce would stop at every you know in the tri-state area uh you know up into you know boston and like yeah Yeah. just all these all these little bars that that were you know legendary you'd hear about them because of these these great shows that like you know guys like bruce would do yeah yeah and and that that whole Asbury Park scene too. I mean, like Bruce is always the first guy to to give credit to, 
uh, like one guy we uh, that I always talk about is, is Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, right? So oh, yeah. they were kind of the archetype for Bruce in a way, right? Like Bruce early on kind of had this uh, Dylan Van Morrison thing going on, right? Like um, it's hard for us that are fans to admit that, but like it, yeah. it is true. Like to an outsider, that's what they would he- hear. Or yeah. Um, and that that and that ethos, but like also bringing in a lot of that, just that classic rave up rock and rock and roll, like from you know the the Renaissance, right? Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the 55, 65 era rock and roll, garage rock, and uh, so he would uh, you know like in different incarnations of bands that he was in, or he, he was like a great side guitar player too, you know, yeah. and but always wanted to write his own songs and and play and, and sing. Well, it's just a part of the reason why why Clarence was in the band because yeah. everybody. At that time, everybody had to have a saxophone because it was all about soul and R&B stuff, right? Um, Cohen, I don't know, uh, Carrick and I have talked about this, but I don't know if you've got to that yet. But um, one of the things we talked about, so the from the box set from Born to Run, there's a, a live from the Hammersmith Odeon Theatre in London. Okay. And that performance, when you watch the video, um, they don't come across like to me a rock yeah. band. They come across like a soul band, yeah. like an yeah. R&B band. Yeah. They're way more, uh, way more funky. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. I could see this that. Born to Run was really kind of more the the time when they kind of straight it, got a little bit more straight ahead rock and roll. Although there's still yeah. lots of horns on it, right? Tenth yeah. mm-hmm. Avenue freeze out, of course. Yeah. Um, right, but uh, but yeah, if you watch that, you know, I think you'll get a you get a. a, a a whole different perspective on the depth of, of where their roots were right so yeah definitely yeah that's we're gonna we're gonna watch that uh, maybe we'll watch that this afternoon yeah uh, crank yeah. it up because it, it is a it's a marvelous show yeah he yeah. would it, it was in a time when the album was done it had come out or was just coming out and, you know he goes over yeah. to goes over to london um and they're ready for him right like that was his first time uh, off of off of the soil off u.s soil and um, you know, and going around, and of course, the record label has done their job and promoted the crap out of it. And you yeah. know, the, the future is here, you know, Bruce Springsteen's here. And so he had a lot to live up to, but you know, he had a just, and it's the perfect, I would say my favorite sports team is the Eastry band. Like, yeah. a, <laughs> of course. like they, but they are, they're, they're, they're a freaking like, you know, Max Weimer had finally joined because some of his original members were sort of involved in this album, but like he, the, well, yeah, the, the two, the, Two of the guys, the, the other two black guys that were in the band at the time were, of course, uh, David Sanchez on keys and yeah. um, what was the drummer? Um, uh, yeah, a oh, crap. We'll, 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 yeah, Come he's on, only guys. on board to run. <laughs> he's only on board to run. I think right? uh, um, drums. Yeah, um, Boom Boom Carter. Yeah, Ernest Carter. Ernest yeah. Boom Boom Carter. Yeah. So yeah, the the odd thing is that iconic drum lick at the start of Born to Run is not Max one. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's so <laughs> there's Boom Boom Carter. Yeah. Um, and they played, they, but they were gone by that time and replaced by, so yeah. So Born to Run came out August 25th, 1975 right. and the Hammersmith Odeon shows were in October. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So three months later, but yeah, Bruce, like he, he didn't really like his performance at the Hammersmith Odeon. I think until he's, they actually went back to the archives and played them you know, they put together the, the, what we see in the, in the box set. Um, he, you know, he was under so much pressure and and his own personal pressure wasn't anybody else's. Well, I guess it was. I mean, when when all the posters say the future is here, come see Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Yeah. "Yeah, Okay. I guess guess that's some pressure. Um, but he, you know, he came in and, and, and did his show, um, amazing. Um, and, and really did, you know, knock it out of the park, but, he wasn't so con- con- he wasn't so sure of that at the time. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. As I'm most sure, good artists yeah. are, like they are, you you never leave the stage or rarely feeling like, yep, 
that I killed it. Or if yeah. you do, yeah. usually you didn't. Uh, yeah. And Bruce, like, you should always feel like there's you, there's got to be better. And yeah. Uh, whereas, and then we watch and we're like, oh, that was one of the best things that's ever yeah. happened. And he had a, like the Eastry Band was like his his brotherhood, right? So, um, kind of his foil is uh, like well, obviously Clarence in some ways, but Stephen Van Zant too has a, plays a really big part in in this album and uh, and and in the future too. And and he's the first guy to leave too because mm-hmm. he's you know he's also got this this side to him like Stephen wants to be an artist himself and yeah. um, and and clashes with with John Lando a little bit too and yeah. so you know sometimes those there's those those egos or there's just those you know those there's just not enough room in the band for yeah. both of us kind yeah, of thing but you know when when a guy like Bruce is is there to like you know like light the world on fire and he's got like a core group of of guys behind him that are mm. have his back and are performing like it's it's the most inspiring thing that you can ever see for yeah. he's got two keyboard players that are freaking marvelous he's got you know and yeah. he's a great guitar player player himself Stephen Van Zandt's a great guitar player yeah um uh, bass and drums Ma- Max I mean Max was a great drummer then he's an even better drummer now that he's what yeah. 70 like yeah. he's um and of course Gary Talent on bass uh, just a marvelous bass player um always just yeah I'll, well, I'll, I'll use the underrated board once. I try not <laughs> yeah, to use that term yeah, too much, yeah. but yeah, Gary is one of them. Well, and I was listening to, uh, I listened, like I said, I listened to a whole album this morning again, and uh, 10th Avenue Frieza, the, the bass in that <laughs> song is so good. Oh, amazing. Um, so the, the story uh, there, Cohen, is, is um, and part of how Steve Van Zandt became really sort of Bruce's lieutenant, I guess is yeah. what they call them, yeah. was that um, they were trying to record 10th Avenue Frieza with the horn section, mm-hmm. and they just couldn't get it. Right. It yeah. was just going on and on and on. And they've got fairly expensive studio guys in there trying to trying to do this this stuff. And of course they couldn't it wasn't working. So Steve Van Zandt had been he'd been working with some other horn bands and of course with Southside Johnny, which featured horns as well. And um, so he finally said, you know, he said to Bruce, you know, this stinks. Yeah, (laughs) and and, uh, Bruce says, "Well, you think you can do it better?" And Steve says, "Yeah, I think I can." (laughs) And he goes into the studio and he literally taught the horn players, the Brecker brothers, some of the most famous, and David Sands. Oh yeah, right. Uh, Teaches some of the best, the best horn players in New York City. Sings their parts to them so they (laughs) record this horn part. And and of course, yeah. Yeah. And apparently, Bruce. Bruce turned to John Lando and says, put him on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, but he, I think he was, Stephen was always kind of his, uh, like his foil, like you said. Um, um, he would cast a dissenting vote a lot of times, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so Bruce would have a certain opinion about something and John would usually agree with Bruce because he's his manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, but Stephen would be the, sometimes the guy in the room who'd say, no, it's not perfect yet. Or no, this sucks. Or, yeah. um, Bruce I, seems like the kind of sorry to interrupt, but like Bruce seems mm-hmm. like the kind of guy that would encourage that too. Like like yeah, he like yeah. he seems like he would uh, look well, for other why, opinions and that's why Steven's still in the band. Right? Yeah, so yeah. He, he's been in and out a bit, but yeah, yeah like he, he seems like I mean I have no idea, but he seems like he would kind of be the guy that would almost uh, probably you know admire that somebody's standing up to the boss and like giving their their opinion. For sure, yeah, yeah, definitely, and he. Uh, but the the nice thing about watching Bruce in, in his whole career is that like he's never defaulted like he's always in control like yeah yeah uh, mm-hmm. and and his manager John Lando is behind him a hundred percent even if maybe John's not like super into it they'll yeah. they'll talk it through but um, yeah like musically or otherwise like Bruce he he knows what he wants and it's in his head 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, like same with those horn shards with 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 Stephen. Like, uh, yeah, he just hummed. No, this got to go like this because I mean, you listen to uh, like if you listen to Sam and Dave, like the stuff that they were listening to when they were kids mm-hmm. or or coming up, they're like, well, yeah, no, this is how the horn should go. Like yeah, they know right. how it's supposed to go. They may not know exactly how to write it down on the charts yeah. for, for the for the Brecker brothers to read, yeah. but you know they know how to do this. And and there's that that scrappy sort of. Um, you know, DIY uh, road scholar, like ROAD scholar yeah. <laughs> that, that really, you know, the, the band really uh, just came through on. And they, cause they, they knew what worked live too, right? It's all about, you know, keeping the crowd going, yeah, having a great pace to a show. And then of course, by the time this album comes out, the live shows become uh, monstrous, but then they kind of get cut short. Cause Bruce, you might notice, remember you were talking about the credits on the back and there's like some asterisks and there were some things. Yeah, yeah. There's a guy in there named Mike Appel and Mike yeah, was his original name. manager. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, Mike, Mike, uh, they had a, a, they had a falling out. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, they've, I think reconciled since. And, and did, is Mike dead now or is he, st- uh, no, he's still he's alive. alive. Okay. Um, but you know, like John basically like took, Bruce to the next level and Mike kind of got left in the dust but oh, yeah. and so they were kind of in a in a battle like legally for a while mm. so Bruce really only did sh- he didn't do any shows really in 76 of note um and then 77 he did a few shows but yeah, yeah. and then of course 78 was like okay I got darkness on the town let's go and then and yeah. they did yeah and then hmm. well they they played enough shows from from sort of born to run on to to keep that was the only money that the band had coming right. in. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't they didn't play a lot, right? So yeah. but uh um yeah, Mike Capel and, and John Lando, I mean, almost they have the same they both have like supreme faith in Bruce's talent. Mike was more of the like they, they talk about him as being sort of like a um a, a troop leader, like yeah. <laughs> one of those guys that you know takes charge and I mean he he believed wholly in in Bruce mm-hmm. and he um, the legend, of course, is when that they finally got an audition with John Hammond. Uh, Mike Capel says to John Hammond, "So I heard you're the guy who discovered Bob Dylan and uh, uh, Billy Holiday. Let's see if you had ears, or, have ears, or if that was a fluke." <laughs> John Hammond say like, that. Yeah, he's a, a recording <laughs> but, industry. But that was the kind yeah. of pushy guy that he was. Yeah. Whereas, and then John Lando came along, who was actually more well-read. Um, and John actually had a history of going back in the music business too, like with the MC five, he produced yeah. one of their stuff. So yeah. he knew more about records and the process than Mike did too. Right. And, so, and a player, like he, he still gets in, sits in and plays guitar with Bruce live yeah. whenever they're yeah. like, he's, he's not great. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, from that um, yeah. point on, that's what, uh, you know, fractured the re- relationship with Mike and put them in court. Right. So, yeah a legendary lawsuit <laughs> yeah and then yeah bruce ended up like long story short bruce ended up like kind of going back and owning the rest of what mike had kind of took yeah. or, you know there was a bit of a business situation but they've kind of got that figured out but it's it's still leaving problems for us even now and because for instance like there's live shows that are recorded from before 75 but we we don't have access to them because <laughs> it's part of the mike appell Era right? problems for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, this these are first world, man. This is <laughs> you don't know what this does to me. Yeah. <laughs> we funny. we've got major gaps in the live download series. Uh, yeah, uh, pre pre seventy five, and actually the uh, um, the was it two thousand three era. They recorded a bunch of live shows, but they're on some weird technology that doesn't work now or something. Oh, yeah. So like they're locked in and they kind of I don't know. So yeah, make a fucking so, Reddit page. Or something. Well, no, there is. Yeah, that's oh, where, course, where do you yeah. think I'm getting all this that's stuff? That's true. Yeah, of course, the Redditors know. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's uh, it's a sad existence, but, but it's very important. 
Um, yeah. So just in the well, background here, we're listening to the end of Jungle Land. He's uh, mm. um, so we're we're already coming to the end, but we're gonna t- we've got it tagged on on the playlist and into the, in the show we're gonna put uh, Linda, let me be the one, and uh, so young and in love. A couple outtakes from from this era songs that didn't make it onto the official album. Uh, th- that was always a big th- bone of contention between Van Zant and uh, Sting or Sting <laughs> Stingstein Sting Spring yeah. Bruce Springsteen is um, uh, like for instance the river is a double record but uh, yeah. Van Zant always said you know the, the songs that made the record weren't weren't even the best ones that we recorded. And uh-huh. We found that to be true actually uh-huh. later. In a lot of cases yeah. yeah a lot well, of I'm, t- I'm yeah. a big uh, I'm a big fan of uh, of pop music and and um, Bruce's pop side, and that's one of the things that I, I'd say. Yeah, I'd love to get Stephen Van Zandt. I hope he gets more involved in the tracks two thing because, yeah. like, he always said that there was better pop songs that Bruce wrote. He just refused to put them out because yeah. it's like, well, that's you know, Bruce Bruce makes records thematically, right? So, so this album, you know, I mean, we've got Jungle and of course it ends the album, which is you know, arguably one of the first rock operas, I guess you mm-hmm. could you could say. Um, like in a song, like a rock yeah, opera yeah, in a definitely. song, like not an yeah, album. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a whole orchestral, you know, it's got movements to it, yeah. right? Essentially, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would just, uh, yeah, I mean, Jungle Land, <laughs> the, the cool thing I always think about with Jungle Land, so Cohen, this is pretty, pretty unusual, but that long sax solo in Jungle Land, yeah. Bruce taught Clarence to play that. Oh, Bruce really? Bruce sang that. Oh, that's he cool. made Clarence yeah. learn every note <laughs> the way he wanted it to sound. Yeah. So he basically sang that whole sax solo. That's 16 cool. hours in the studio. <laughs> yeah. 16 hours just to record that sax solo. And it's funny because I read the commentary that said that when they finished, and they said, okay, we're, we're done, neither Bruce nor Clarence had realized it had taken them 16 hours. So I oh, yeah. It was just a few minutes, right? Yeah. But yeah, sixteen hours, <laughs> and, and it is one of the best yeah. saxophone. Like, and that's the thing right, where, like, uh, even like like George Jones, he stopped loving her today. One of the best country songs of all time. Uh, they had to piece that that thing together from about a hundred different takes, and yeah. so yeah. sometimes perfection is hard, you know, yeah. or, or excellence striving well, for that. In uh, George Jones' case, it was because he was shit. Well, him. that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <But> completely. <laughs> um, and then. Yeah. Poor, go uh, oh, go ahead, sir. No, I was going to say, yeah, I think 29 takes is what it took to do uh, uh, He Stopped Loving Her Today. But yeah, yeah you know, 24 <laughs> of them, he was drunk. Yeah, mm-hmm. really. slurring and yeah. <laughs> and then he, he kept singing the wrong melody and stuff too. Mm-hmm. But, but you can see where like Bruce has a vision and he and he executes or has people to help him execute it. And, yeah. and, and Clarence in particular, again, why we're talking about this album around this time of year Um coincidence likely not but uh you know that uh you know june is a, an important time but yeah so june 18th um 2011 i'm gonna get it wrong yeah 2011 uh yeah clarence died and that was that was a big blow for the issue band i mean we had lost uh danny federici a few years prior he was the, the organ player okay um which i think was that in the fall crap when i forget when danny died or was that march maybe yeah i was gonna yeah. say it was in the spring the spring think, yeah. thing yeah um but yeah, the, the Clarence one was a big one because there was such a visual aspect to it, of course, right? You can see on the on the cover. Yeah. Um, and of course, just li- from a live perspective, Clarence, um, you know, he, he, even as he got older, I mean, he maybe lost a bit of his like pizzazz. He, he was a tall dude, but you know, he got older and heavier as he, as he got on. He used to be just like, just a mat, yeah. just a brick, you know, or whatever. But um, but yeah, when when he he died, like those sax parts are very important like, yeah. on, on um, most of the songs. 
uh, and so his now his nephew Jake Clemens is the right. The I remember uh, when we were uh, driving out of uh, I think we were leaving the Shoppers Drug Market. Oh, the mall heading yeah. north, and um, uh, we were listening to I think it was the live version of Jungle Land, actually. Probably, yeah. And um, I don't know. It might have been on East Street Radio. Probably. And Jake was probably doing the Yeah, version. and you said, yeah. and I think you even said that in some ways some of his is better. Well, yeah, he, he, he had to work really hard. Or just different. Yeah, Jake's, yeah. Uh, there's a whole, I don't know, like I, yeah, he definitely is not as good as his uncle. Yeah. But um, he also has a, uh, there's big shoes to fill there, yeah. too. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, I don't envy anyone uh, having to step into that because it saxophone is very uh, like all horns there's mm-hmm. a physicality to it you need the lungs to to, yeah. to blow he, like because he blows it's it's a tenor sax but he's like blowing like just these hard like like notes and yeah. um yeah it's it, there's just nothing like clarence Clemens. so yeah. well that then that's the sound like bruce said was uh so the, the legend of course is that um how Bruce met uh, Clarence was that uh, the, the band was playing in a bar on, on the Jersey shore and it was a stormy night, raining hard, wind blown really, really hard. And there's nobody in the bar that they're playing at and they're on stage playing. And all of a sudden the door opens and not only does the door open, but it flies off the hinges <laughs> and it's Clarence standing there with his saxophone case going, mind if I sit in <laughs> yeah. and nobody's going to deny a six foot six, two hundred, right? So, um, but Bruce said from that moment on, it was the sound that was missing. Yeah. Like it was what was missing from his band. And that's goes back to like uh, Clarence's uh, idol was King Curtis. And if you listen right. to any King Curtis, they're they're only kind of a few guys that play that way and you mentioned yeah. that earlier character absolutely that big throaty sound i mean it was just unreal right yeah. so once he heard clarence play it was like yeah yeah this is the piece that's been missing yeah. from my band right so. yeah and on top of it then he he not only you know he was able to still kind of use that uh and it was like very intentional like like yeah this is a big black man like i don't think he was like looking for what he yeah. what's the term no. where they like tokenism or whatever but like yeah. it just it just is right yeah um and i think that's uh it's it speaks volumes uh, yeah he wasn't definitely. he definitely wasn't the first one to do that i mean one the allman brothers band was one of the first inter- true interracial yeah. bands but uh uh yeah it and and others too but yeah that it's it was just so important um and uh, well I, I remember it's interesting i just um of course, the other day, the 18th, when it came up two days ago, of course, I had a, a Facebook post about uh, Clarence passing. And, and I, what I wrote was actually, you know, I couldn't see, I, you know, when, when Danny passed away, that was a big, big thing. Mm-hmm. But they got through that. Yeah. And But when Clarence died, I just thought he was such an integral part of the band and yeah. the sound. And that onstage foil for Bruce and everything else, I just thought, I can't see how they're going to go on. Yeah, I, I really thought it was probably the end of the E Street Band. And then, yeah. uh, you know, thankfully Bruce, I, I think it was he was on um, uh, one of the late night shows. Jimmy Fallon, Fallon's a big Springsteen fan, and he was on Fallon, and and he said, you know, it's, the way we look at it is, if the fans are still there, we'll be still here. So. Mm-hmm. And, and he really stuck to that. And the only two times he's ever had to, well, I mean, Charles Giordano playing, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, um, covering the, the, the Hammond B3 parts that, uh, that Danny used to cover. Um, that was a little different because he came on board because of the... Um, uh, the the Seeger sessions. The Seeger sessions, yeah. right? He was in, the, in one of Bruce's offshoots uh, yeah. from the tour prior. Yeah. And, and, you know, has now finally, uh, you know, from Letter to You, really stepped into his oh, game. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and then but you know the same thing was uh the only like when max had to step out on a tour and couldn't couldn't fulfill all the dates on the tour um they got his son to play yeah. <laughs> oh right yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which was like, what? Oh, okay. And then, and then of course, when after Clarence passed and then they brought Jake in. That's cool. So it's yeah. like, it's, they've actually kept it in the family. Even, yeah. Other, you know, Charles is a little bit outside of that, but the next but, generation. Uh, well, Charles is at least part of that sort of New York, that tri-state connection yeah. at least, which helps and kind of, I think he played with, uh, he had actually played gigs with uh, Patty back long before he joined Bruce. Too, sure. When Patty did her solo stuff yeah, yeah. in the nineties, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Does Bruce have kids? Uh, yeah, three kids. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, partly why your grandpa was actually able to uh, to meet. Uh, oh, yeah. I was Bruce. actually going to yeah. ask about that at one point. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, so so Bruce had been here. So his daughter, Jessica, is a um, world-class equestrian, and she's actually right. supposedly competing to be on the Olympic team. Oh, wow. Um, but she, um, so she was here uh, at Spruce Meadows in Calgary uh, competing, and mm. Bruce was here, and, and um, so it, it some you know the press found out that he was here, so they kind of attacked him on the grounds. And there's actually pictures of him in the Calgary newspaper, and he's wearing like a literally a, a yellow rain slicker, a baseball cap, and rubber boots. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the press is like, give us a give us a statement, give us a you know, yeah. give us some photos. And and he basically said, look, I'm here to support my daughter. I'm not here as Bruce Springsteen, the rock star. Yeah. Uh, leave me alone kind of thing right so the so okay try and tie this all together so spruce meadows is owned by the same people that own atco which i used to work at right okay um and atco and spruce meadows are owned by the uh, southern family um and so nancy southern runs atco gas and her sister runs spruce meadows so nancy is a client of pam's my wife um and has been for 20 years, I guess, maybe more. Um, and, you know, so she's one of the richest people in Calgary and super nice, such yeah. a wonderful woman. But anyway, so um, so her mother, so the matriarch of the family, was on the grounds when Bruce was there the first time. And so Bruce had, you know, it was pouring rain and everything. So after Bruce's, after Jessica had ridden, uh, Bruce said um, to the guys in the, so they have what's called the um, sponsor's lounge. And you're only allowed to be in there if you're a sponsor. And the sponsors of Spruce Meadows are people like Rolex and Maserati. Oh, okay, and, yeah. Right? So high-end, high-end people. Yeah. So only people allowed in there if you're the sponsors, the competitors, so the horse jumpers themselves, mm. and their trainers, and okay. nobody else. Yeah. So press can't come in there. Nobody can come in there. Um, so the first time when, when he was here, um, he was in there. And it cleared out because the, the the horse jumping was done. Mm -hmm. And he asked the security guard at the front, he says, would it be okay if I laid down on one of these benches here and just had a little nap? Oh, yeah. And, and the guy says, yeah, sure, no problem. Nobody will bother you in here. And so he left them there. Um, so, so Marge Southern, the matriarch of the family, she's in her probably late 80s now. So she would have been in her 70s, early 80s at the time. So she brings some of her old friends in to the lounge and she sees this guy in a yellow rain slicker <laughs> yeah. baseball cap and rubber boots laying on one of the sofas and so she says i don't know who you are but you can't be in here you gotta leave you get out you get out <laughs> who's this and homeless course, guy <laughs> yeah. and, and of course bruce does what bruce would do he says okay and he leaves yeah of course yeah <laughs> he doesn't say hey do you know he just gets up and leaves um so anyway fast forward uh, so the next year, 
um, when the, the Spruce Meadows uh, thing was on again and Jessica's coming to ride. So Nancy Southern, again, Pam's client, um, Pam said something to her about uh, when he was here the first time and said, oh, you know, if you hear that he's coming back, you know, maybe you can get Brent an autograph. And Nancy mm -hmm. said, um, oh, I, I think we can do better than that. I think Bruce, <laughs> Bruce and Brent need to meet. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Indeed, yeah, they do. Right. And, and so, so Pam, Pam says to Nancy, well, I'm not going to tell Brent that because he won't sleep till it happens. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, she told me, of course. And then the next year, uh, when it's happening again, uh, so Nancy comes by and she drops off these little pins, which are our ticket to get into that sponsor's lounge. Uh, um, and she said, okay, you know, so all you had to do is basically look at the schedule of jumpers and figure out when Jessica's riding and then kind of work from there. So on the Thursday, I went out um, after lunch at work and because um, she was riding about 1.30 or 2 in the afternoon. So I went out there and actually sat with Nancy in the stands and we watched her. So Nancy's daughter is a show jumper with Jessica as well. So we watched Jessica to jump. And then Nancy said, well, just follow her, follow the horse, see where they go and see if Bruce is around. And my little sponsor's pin there allowed me to go backstage, essentially back anywhere where, where I wanted on the grounds. So I followed her and when they got the horse back to the barn, it was basically just Jessica and a trainer and I think maybe a bodyguard. Mm. And so that's fine. So then Friday, um, they were riding again at like five o'clock in the afternoon. And um, so I said, okay, so I stopped by the house and picked Pam up and we drove out there. Spruce Meadows is only like 15 minutes from our house. And so we go out there and we go into the sponsor's lounge and we're sitting down and looking around and Pam's like, mm, no Bruce. And I go, uh, no, but there's Patty, <laughs> his wife, Patty right. was sitting there. That's cool. And so Pam goes, well, you should go talk to her. And I go, no, I don't want to talk to her. <laughs> I want to talk to Bruce. And, she said, and Pam's like, yeah, but you know, if you go talk to her, maybe she'll tell you if he's here, maybe she'll tell you he'll be here tomorrow at a certain time. And, you know, and I said, yeah. And more likely she's likely to say, who's this freaking weirdo talking <laughs> my husband and get me kicked out. So I, I, I refused to go talk to her and I just left it. And Pam's like, oh, I think you're making a mistake. So the next day, she's riding about the same time. So we drive out there again, and we go into the sponsor's lounge, and we sit down. Or no, we don't even sit down. We walk in, and there's Bruce standing at the bar. And he's getting some peanuts and some water. Uh, and uh, As one would. Yeah, of course. I froze. <laughs> <laughs> and Pam, like, you know, wakes me up and says, um, okay, look, she's riding in 15 minutes. You've got this window right now. Yeah. to have this have this thing happen <laughs> and um so i went up to him and i said uh, uh you know i waited till he was finished at the bar and he turned around and i said hi you know my name's brent and I've, I've been a your biggest fan since 1978 <laughs> and he says oh that's a long time and, uh, and uh, i said would you mind signing something for me maybe taking a picture and he says oh sure no problem and then i i could see sort of the wheels turning in his head because he's kind of going well, what would you have for me to sign? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, carrying around. Right. Actually, I'm, yeah, a, I'm the Spruce Meadows uh, show jumping place. Nobody knows I'm here. Yeah, you know what? What would you? You know, so <laughs> I pull out my my eighty dollars Springsteen songbook hardcover. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Songs. And, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And yeah. a bunch of those. Uh, and a bunch of the postcards that I got the spring. Uh, Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey postcards oh, that cool. were basically the first album cover, right? Yeah. But I got a bunch of those when I was in Asbury Park in 1995. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I, cool. I pulled those out and uh, and uh, asked Bruce if he'd mind signing. So I got him to sign one of the postcards to my nephew, Danny. Mm. And um, 
because he was a big fan as well. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then he signed my book, and uh, we took a couple pictures, and that was kind of it. But uh, he actually was prolonging the conversation. Like I was, I was kind of like, okay, thank you. You know, I got what <laughs> yeah. I needed. Let you know, trying to let him go, and he's like, oh, you've been to Asbury Park, so we start talking about Asbury Park. You know, oh, you should go cool. back. It's it's way better now, and all this other stuff, right? So, <laughs> yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I, 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 at least I, I kept my shit together. Oh, you good, know, yeah. got through it, and then. Um, <laughs> I didn't lose it until um, we finished, and then I went. We went kind of around the corner, and then Cam said, "Well, phone Nancy and let her know that it happened." So we phoned Nancy, and as soon as Nancy got on the, oh. on the phone, I started crying. Right? I was like, <laughs> I, can't, "I can't believe that just happened!" <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> I'd probably pass out. Like I, yeah. I, I froze when I ran into uh, Alan Frew from Glass Tiger. For God's sake! <laughs> really? I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, because I was a huge fan of his solo record. Like, but still, like, you that's know, funny. come on. <laughs> I'd probably just. Outside. Well, and yeah. it is funny how that works because the only time I've ever been really starstruck, I mean, I was starstruck in this case, of course, but but the only time I ever made a fool of myself <laughs> was um, I met Dr. David Suzuki. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And that was not, you know, that's not something like I'm not a science guy. Yeah. I could care less, but yeah. it was just the circumstances. I was in the, um, what was it? The Edmonton Journal building in Edmonton, right okay. across the street from where I went to high, Alberta to college. college yeah. To college, Alberta College. Yeah. And, I, and it was a cold, you know, some, uh, cold, snowy day. And I was standing inside the lobby to stay warm, waiting for my bus. And I opened the door to let somebody in. It was David Suzuki. <laughs> and I said to him, Do you know who you are? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, think he did. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you know who he is. I have no idea. Yeah, he has a, a really, really large, like, uh, he's kind of got a gray afro kind of hair. He okay. has a really unique look to him. Uh, okay. So, yeah, you'd know him. Like, if you know who he is and you saw him, like, what are nobody his, looks uh, like him. accomplishments? Well, he had a TV doctor. show in the 80s and 90s. Uh, it was like The Nature of Things. It was a Nature CBC things, production. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he was just, he's always been, like, an advocate for, for environment. He's an environmentalist. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. And a scientist long before it was it was cool. So, so he's yeah. not, like, an, like, a medical doctor? No, no, he's a, like a scientist uh, okay. like for nature. Okay, <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I was reasonably assured meeting Bruce was not going to be, you know, you always hear those stories about people talking about meeting your heroes, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it often goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it can't possibly live up to your expectations, right? But, you know, I, I was pretty sure that meeting Bruce wasn't going to be that way, and obviously it wasn't. I mean, he was just as nice as possible, and and everything else right but uh yeah. um what one of the coolest uh, stories that uh makes me new kind of makes me know that that would have worked out fine was um you'll get a kick out of this one cone so bruce is playing a bar somewhere in the u.s and after the show he goes out and signs autographs and at the end of the autograph line the very last kid uh was a kid um, a teenager and so bruce signs his record or whatever he had and and it's like one o'clock in the morning and Bruce says, uh, like he guy starts walking away and Bruce is like, well, how are you getting home? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to take the bus, but I don't think the buses are running anymore. And, and Bruce is like, well, well I'll give you a lift. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he gets in the van cool. and Bruce, Bruce drives the kid to his house. And of course he gets there and then the kid says to Bruce, well, um, would you mind coming in and saying hi to my mom? She's a big fan. And, <laughs> Frankly, she's not going to believe me, and I wasn't supposed <laughs> to be out this late anyway, so oh, I'm not yeah, in trouble. Yeah. 
So uh, he says, yeah, okay. So they go in the house. And, of course, the kid goes up and tries to wake his mom up and says, Mom, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> like, yeah, right, whatever. Right? Yeah. So she finally gets up and she comes downstairs and there's Bruce sitting at her kitchen table. So she's like, oh, and, you know, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Can I make you a sandwich? And he goes, yeah, I can eat. So, <laughs> so she makes him a sandwich and they chat for a while. And then he gets in the truck and goes home. That's cool. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's funny. You read the, the Cindy Lauper book, right? I think I lent that to you. The, the Cindy Lauper's autobiography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's funny she, is I was in the shitter and I started reading it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was actually really yeah. good. That's where well, that's where I'm doing my reading, sadly, yeah, as well, always. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she talks about meeting Bruce uh, when he was married to his first wife, and uh, she just hated him. And I'm like, I I think that speaks more about her than about him personally, because I don't I don't know. I she's she's pretty cantankerous, and uh, you know I yeah. know she had a hard go in her career and all yeah. that stuff. But uh, you know they were like basically label mates, and they're both from that New York you know tri-state mm-hmm. scene. Uh, but yeah, she like thought he was an asshole and this, and I'm like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> well, uh, may, maybe that has something to, to do with the time of Bruce's life because yes. as, yeah. as big Bruce fans, we all know that that was a mistake marrying her anyway. Yeah, absolutely. He, oh, they had, were married? He had, no, he was married to uh, Julianne oh. Phillips. Oh, uh, he Phillips, yeah. Actress. Yeah. Okay. But it's like, well, she's not a Jersey girl. Yeah, exactly. She's not Patty. You just, of course, he married Patty, <laughs> right? So, oh. and and Bruce, I mean, if you look at his the time frame, that was when he was, you know, she was dressing on mop and yeah. suit jackets and bolo ties. Exactly. And, yeah. like, well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was just not being a, yeah. his true self for a little while there. <laughs> Absolutely, he probably was just not happy. Yeah, that that's the one thing I wish his autobiography would have dug into a little more. But you know, mm-hmm. and, and he and he may never really get into some of that. But I, I there are I there I feel like there are a lot of like missing pieces uh, about a lot of personal details that we'll probably never know, <laughs> and we probably yeah. shouldn't know. But a lot of other artists or actors would probably tell us. But yeah, yeah that that mid eighties period just is is that's always been my my period because he went from the the biggest star in the world to like basically throwing it all away, sort of with one mm-hmm. of the worst sounding albums of all time with some of the best songs of all time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's just a whole lot of, whole lot of dichotomy going on there. So, <laughs> so we haven't, I don't know how long, how long have we been? We're just over an hour now. So I think we're doing oh, okay. Yeah. We have, that's we, not bad. Yeah. And, and we really haven't talked about the music on the record. Yeah. We, we probably, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the music on the record a little bit. Yes. <laughs> well, I can get some water quick. Not, oh, not oh, much yeah, more yeah. to say about, but Thunder Road, I mean, really, like I said, it's, it is, you know, and, and somebody asked that question within the last few weeks on, on social media, you know, what's, what do you think is the best first song of any record you've oh. ever heard? And I gotta say it's, <laughs> of course it's, it's Thunder Road. Yeah. Thunder Road. Yeah, of course it is. And which the, Cohen, Cohen, you also know that I, I named my very first great rock band Thunder Road as well, right? Uh, you, he's, he's going upstairs to get water right now. So unfortunately, oh, okay. yeah, he's, 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 uh, he's, That's right. yeah, <laughs> we, we'll have to forgive him. <laughs> I can use this as an opportunity to just re- remind everyone if, uh, for all of my five listeners and viewers, um, yeah, we are, we're talking about, uh, Bruce Springsteen's, uh, classic third album, Born to Run, uh, you know, basically, you know, one of the best albums of all time. And, uh, yeah, I think I read the um, Rolling Stone. It's in the top eight of what, the top hundred best. It's number eight on the top one hundred of all time. That makes sense. It is right up there with Sgt. Pepper and Pet Sounds, and yeah, uh, yeah. and probably Nirvana. Never mind when they revise history, but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is a fine record. But yes, I, I'm getting it, like they did that revision to the top five hundred albums or whatever, and right. they kind of like that was not that long ago, and they they definitely did some tokenism in there, which it probably deservedly so like I get, but they kind of pushed like Marvin Gaye, what's going on, like into the 
is it like not number three yeah. or two or not? Like, okay, well, let's not push it. <laughs> I know it's an important record, but uh, I don't know if I would call it that. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. Importance, legacy, I guess, versus the actual recording itself. I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a great record, and yeah, not not too many outtakes, at least officially. Uh, of course, the gestation of this, I did finally check out that song, uh, like the the Wings for Wheels mm-hmm. song. You know, when it went into became Born to Run, but it was kind of its own song. Um, it's been yeah. fun to hear some of those variations. Um, you know, he would I guess work out a lot of these songs live too, and fans got to know them, and they had lives of their well, own. And when I listened to it this morning, I always. You know, I mean, different classic records like this will always, something will stick out every time you listen to it. You know, a different song or a different something will stick out. And for me, um, Backstreet's today. Yeah. Um, you know, and I guess there's talk of, of that record. The, you know, it's is is it a gay story, right? Like, there's well, that's talk true, of yeah. that. Yeah. Right? There's, there's sort of that, because it is talking about two guys being super close friends and and maybe that's all it is but there's that sort of subtext to it that talk about uh, remember all the movies terry we'd go to see trying to w- walk like the heroes we thought we had to be oh uh, after yeah all this time i found it was just like all the rest slow dancing in the dark and forced to confess yeah killer yeah that's a great line yeah no that's a good point and i don't think he's ever really spoken about that has he uh you know, not that i, I know picture i was a picture of being about terry mcgovern okay yeah Right, so which was Bruce's, I guess, bodyguard technically for many, many years. Right, yeah. Who passed away. Yeah. Was he gay? Mm, I think he might have been. Yeah, gay. yeah, but the, and that, that whole New York, that AIDS thing, and yeah, that was yeah. A, a, a big deal back then for sure. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. mean, again, going back lyrically, some of my favorites, uh, Barefoot Girl Sitting on the Hood of a Dodge Drinking Warm Beer in the Soft Summer Rain. <laughs> Yep. I can barely speak those words. Of course, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> and when you hit people with that, like just out of context, I'll be talking to somebody one day and you know say something, and then they'll say that line, and it just you know it's like wow, yeah. <laughs> it's completely evocative from the first word to the last. You don't need anything before it or after it. Yep. <laughs> it's like there you go. Well, <laughs> and that up. and I've I've told Colm before, and and you probably picked up on this too. Like when when I was you know starting to really dig into be, being an artist of my own right, like. these this the idea of these lines i mean that's what we all aspire to in in our own ways and like and Mm -hmm. with with clayton bellamy in particular when we wrote this road is mine like the the first line like it was our 14th summer back in i three. like we really wanted to like set the stage like like springsteen would right like and 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 clay really brought that like i kind of forgot about that approach and he's like we got to make the first few lines just like tell the story i'm like okay yeah i got you now so yeah um, that's like the, the high watermark, these, these sorts of things. I really like the, I mean, it's not on this album, but I really like the, um, promised land. Yeah. Well, darkness is, yeah. A whole I other beast. Yeah. The lyrics on that one. Yeah. 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 That one would probably, yeah. Speak to you maybe more even like lyrically. Um, yeah. there, there's a, cause it was like in that whole concept of like a darkness on the edge. Like if you've ever like been in a small town and you're like outside and there's like yeah like you get it like oh okay. it's like yeah. at, at, like up at, at flying j yeah it's like yeah. uh just because it's very it is on the edge of town and it's on yeah. the, literally on the edge of yeah. town and the rain often comes in I yeah because it's by right. water for sure so it's often very dark and rainy on, yeah. on the edge of town yeah. yeah 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 exactly and that that technically is my favorite springsteen record too so yeah. um and that that i think it's 
I mean, it's hard to put something above Born to Run, really, but I think for Darkness, again, because mm-hmm. it came out the week that I did, heard Bruce Springsteen for the first time, right? So yeah. so it was the new record. and yeah. um, But it was also the time, right? It was 1978. There's a lot of the, you know, Bruce is one of the guys who, one of the few huge rock stars that the punks still liked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right? true. Because, yeah, he wasn't right? too he corporate, had, right? Yeah, he was. Right, yeah. he had that kind of, you know, he's still, uh, you know, you're not going to change me into turn me into anybody yeah. that I'm not, right? So yeah. uh, he was respected by that group and, and you know, wrote some songs for those guys. I mean, Elvis Costello is a huge Springsteen fan. Um, you know, the Because of the Night, Patti Smith thing, that's that's a pretty, you know, writing, um, um, uh, what's the big song he wrote for uh, um, for the Ramones, but kept. <laughs> oh oh uh oh my god from the river uh, yeah i was oh um i was gonna say don't look back but it wasn't no it was uh no that was for uh right. the oh, other guys crap. um <laughs> hungry heart <laughs> yeah yeah hungry heart was yeah. written essentially john lando said you should write this song for, for them and then when he finished it john lando says well you're not giving that away <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> and, keep that one like Green Day, they're huge fans of Springsteen. And yeah, right. It actually yeah. pokes in their music, their like American Idiot era. Which, For sure, uh, there's a lot of very Springsteen esque bands around that time had sort of rediscovered or or were finally coming out. Like Gaslight Anthem, where they're actually from New Jersey too, oh, and they yeah. have that same amp behind you, by the way. The, the guy from the, he has an SRC 65. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and the Killers, of course. But like they made yeah. oh they yeah. Did not, they well, have, Sam's Town. Sam's even Town the is, name Sam's yeah, Town. Yeah, and he even ha- he even sings with that sort of it's kind of annoying that vibrato-y Roy Orb- like Springsteen does Roy Orbison does the, yeah. You know, um, but yeah, like the influence, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny because this is where like a lot of people were influenced by like Tunnel of Love and Human oh, Touch yeah. era right. Springsteen, which is like clearly not his best and it's still better than most other artists. Yeah. Other stuff, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, the, yeah, the yeah song song for song. Yeah, it's really hard to beat this. But yeah, darkness though. Yeah, you're right. Like like ten songs, like from top to bottom. It's really hard to think. You you can't even really pick it apart either. Like every song stands on its own, but it's an album. Is he religious? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he was raised Catholic. Okay, yeah. because um, yeah. just when I think like Adam raised a Cain. Yeah, mm. yeah, a lot of biblical references. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, he talks about yeah. that more actually in later years. He he okay. does talk. I don't know if he would consider himself Christian or not, but he he was raised Catholic, so a lot yeah. of that imagery and and well, like he hated the he hated the church. He hated yeah. the Catholic Church, of course. And, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he was a, when he was a kid, yeah. And then as all teens do, I, yeah. I think yeah. what well, happens. They, it seems to be particularly with Catholics is you, you can never get away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're always guilty. And you're, that's yeah, what my course, ca- yeah. that's what my Catholic friends always tell me is, that, you know, you, you can't get out of this organization. Right. <laughs> and I think what happens is it will, for Bruce, there's a lot of times later that lyrically he started bringing stuff up that was religious iconic uh, stuff. Right. And yeah. um, like the seven uh, crosses of Mary or Mary's, you know, whatever that was from, couple years ago but you know yeah. so he had seven stations of the cross right so yeah. he goes back to that catholic imagery and i think he's embraced it he seems to have embraced it more like he yeah. talked about that at the springs you know broadway um but again not so much in a um a fatalistic way i mean the yeah. catholic uh, guilt thing it's more yeah. about uh you know these are and and uh, you know as a as an atheist and an agnostic myself um i've always said that there's nothing like the ten commandments 
that's a pretty good way to live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Regardless of who came up with it or where it comes from, you know, living your life according to, or using the quoting Graham Parsons would be, uh, I love the Christian life, right? It's, uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with living, uh, living your life according to a set of, you know, set down rules uh, to a certain extent. But I don't, from my perspective, I don't see how that ties into God or death or afterlife or any of that for me it's no. just yeah you know, that's a you know you should live your life that way yeah right? so. that's right <laughs> well he strikes me as an agnostic yeah probably i think it's yeah. hard to say yeah and and maybe we'll never know that's kind of the, the beauty of it too like i i presume they didn't raise the kids in church i i actually don't know i don't think so no i i don't think patty's got much of a background in it either so yeah no she'd be irish catholic probably too though yeah. right or yeah yeah um yeah, i think that's right yeah. yeah but uh yeah no i think that's like all all those good tropes i mean yeah you you it's it it, it shaped who he is and he's not alone in that and i think mm-hmm. yeah a lot of his songs are informed by that especially when mm-hmm. he he started really uh getting known for his acoustic shows like in in 1990 the the, the, the acoustic shows they were like it was like a fundraiser thing and it got heavily bootlegged now it's available but uh, he, he started doing that sort of storyteller thing. So mm. 1990 and then, and then around the ghost of Tom Joad era, his shows, 96, 97, it was just him and a guitar, uh, or piano yeah. or whatever. And, and then again in 05, the 05 shows are probably some of my favorite Bruce shows, like of, of any era of any, the, like, has he tells the stories a, a bit, uh, he did the VH1 storytellers around that era too. And that's what, of course, now, now the Springsteen on Broadway thing really brought that all together and he kind of tells his story but it's also everyone else's story it's right. yeah it's it's just brilliant yeah, like whatever like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i can't <laughs> yeah <laughs> the one that got me the story on the, that got me on on broadway was um talking about the tree that grew in his yard right <clears throat> oh, because it was it you know he said you know once he went back and the tree was gone but because it was a tree that he'd grown up with since he was a young, young child, um, the tree's gone, but he still feels its presence. Like yeah. it, it's, you could almost sit under the tree still for sure. Right. And, and feel the, 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 you know, how it shades you from the heat and, you know, like, it's like, well, and I have that same, I have that same experience. I have the, sure. the tree in the yard that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, I was never much of a tree climber, but I certainly sat and pondered life underneath that tree. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, interesting. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he draws a lot. Um, I, I had one question I wanted to ask Karak of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we're getting close to yeah. closing this up or not, but Ooh. I just something that crossed my mind. Do you have a favorite? What's your favorite Springsteen song that relates to me in the sense of being your dad, your father? Mm. Um, and, and I'll give you time to think about it. And I'll tell you mine, and I think it mm-hmm. happens to be. Like there's like when I when he did the wish in Springsteen on Broadway, that yeah. really that's the one for his mom. Yeah. Like there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um and um but for me it's it's probably Independence Day, but it's not yeah. It's not entirely it's not entirely it's not my story, like it's not my father's story. It is in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dad is a, a non commutative kind of uh stoic you know, never said uh, more than 20 words to me in my life kind of, kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah. there's a little bit of that, you know, let's say goodbye. It's independence day. All, all boys must run away. Right. So well, yeah, and he used to kind of like, like, actually I was, I was just listening to a live show from like one of the, 
the Winterland uh, shows from 78. Mm. And yeah, and he introduced it as this one's going out to, to my dad. And, and his dad was in the crowd, actually, that, oh, that yeah. night. So yeah, he I think he really related to that one himself, too. Um, but just knowing what we know about Bruce and his relationship with his dad, too, it's uh, like for me, like that that sort of hit archetype would be more like Dennis, right? Like my stepdad. Right. So uh, a lot of those songs can kind of relate to that, even though I never really rebelled as much as Bruce did. Mm-hmm. Um, like our relationship, of course, I'll, I, I went I went really deep on the one there with, with uh, you know, When You Need Me, right? Because right. yeah, I thought that was like really like, I don't think he meant it that way. I think it might have been more of a love song, but... Um, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, for that's, sure. That's... That makes sense that that would be your answer because yeah I, I get that yeah I think more uh, more our relationship like like really realistically is probably more like like brothers or uncle like kind of mm. thing like um like so like the the blood brothers or brothers under the bridge like I I do right. feel like you and I can almost like more partners like in a way like yeah. uh, just just due to our our origins right or the the, the true yeah. story but um but and that's going to change too I mean over the next you know decades but. Um, yeah, that, I think some of those traditional, uh, you know, father son things that he wrote about were, um, yeah, it's, it's harder to apply them for, for me and you like yeah. personally, but, yeah. um, yeah, no, I, I could definitely see how. That's interesting. You said that because too, I actually thought about in reference to this question, I was thinking about how, again, a lot more of what Springsteen's gone through with his father would be a little closer to what you went with with Dennis than than me right for so, sure and and yeah. and sad but true yeah especially knowing more about Bruce's dad like and then like oh yeah that like some of that really relates yeah uh to maybe a little too much but um yeah de- <laughs> definitely and I I was always drawn a little more to um which is probably why I like Mark Cohen so much is because like he he was like the youngest of older parents and I always found yeah. that I found that his perspectives were more uh, he was observing his parents and I, I always right. felt like, and, and Bruce did a little bit of that too, uh, more, yeah. I guess with his mom on the, like with the wish and stuff. But, um, yeah, I was always a little more drawn to songs, like not like this is a song about me and, and the way I feel about you. It's, it's more like I'm observing you and this is what I see about you. And I've always been a little more drawn to those kinds of s- songs. Um, yeah. So I'm not, yeah, which is, yeah, but Bruce, Bruce's songwriting has always, has changed often too. It's been, oh, for sure. Um, which has been great to see. I, I love the, I love the, this later Bruce too. Like it's, you yeah. know, he's just, he's exactly how rock and rolls should age. You know, it's better to you. That was, yeah. I really, <laughs> I didn't listen to the full yeah. album, but the song I yeah. listened to, it was really yeah. good. Oh, yeah. uh, sorry, I missed that cone. Oh, I just said, I, um, I didn't listen to the full letter to you album, but I listened to the song when it came out and it was really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know. I don't have enough in my bank to <laughs> know how much it's changed. But well, no, like, that's yeah. He, and because he, he's referring now to like like loss, like he's talking, he's seeing people his age die now, right? Yeah. And that's uh, right. that's got to be heavy, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it will be, yeah, uh, when we get there. But uh, yeah, it's it's been been great to watch, and he's kind of looking back and kind of reframing his past. I think that whole Springsteen on Broadway era was was really important for for that too. Um, good Lord, we could go for days on this. <laughs> Let's try and bring it back to border on here just a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were talking about certain lines. I mean, you're right. Like, yeah, some of the, the single lines of these songs are just like, they're just so, so beautiful. And then Jungle Land as a, as a piece overall, 
tells yeah. the story. And these, if I recall, if I I I, I frequent Bruce Bass the the website quite often, and <laughs> and they tell they if I recall, I think basically this album is like the most performed, or no, maybe it's Darkness, but yeah, some of the songs of this like are the most performed of all. Like they have a tally of how many times he's performed, like oh, Backstreets right. or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And in particular, every time I hear "Night," I I think of "Bad Out of Hell." So, uh, oh, can, yeah. in particular, that one. I don't know if it, maybe it's in a similar key or whatever, but I feel like that was maybe the reference. If if Ron Gunn was stealing any <laughs> any tricks, right. uh, just from just sonically, I, I think maybe more than anything. But the way it breaks down, and then the, the horns are so like up front, and the the sixteenths on the hats. I mean, yeah, come on, that's. <laughs> It's it's probably and it's probably the worst song on the record. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick one, yeah, like yeah, if you got to pick one, right? (laughs) Which is terrible because oh my god, okay. (laughs) But I I think uh, what let's let's sum up the record with the the last verse of Jungle Land. Yeah, outside the streets on fire and a real death waltz between what's flesh and what's fantasy, and the poets down here don't write nothing at all. They just stand back and let it all be. And in the quick of the night, they reach for the moment and try to make an honest stand. Yeah. But they wind up wounded. They're yeah. not even dead. <laughs> Tonight in Jungle Land. Like that, that kills oh, me. I know. I'm crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sad. But because uh, and then and then, of course, the woes like he. Yeah. yeah. The original Actually, woes. I read uh, I did read um, as I was doing prepar- preparations for this, I um, read some of the stuff on and that's so they had finished jungle land they had finished the whole song they had it all done and they're kind of listening to the last playback <clears throat> and i don't know who i don't remember who said it whether it was john landau or steve but somebody said it, it's missing something hmm. just the ending is missing something and bruce just said i think i know what it is oh, and he said, okay. turn on the mic <laughs> yeah and he went back in the studio and he just sang that those woes at the very end just that was it and he wow. just one take. <laughs> yeah. And they all kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, that was it. <laughs> even even the chords, like at the end, like it, it kind of moves a little differently and it builds tension. Mm-hmm. Just like, yeah, it's, oof. Oy vey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, this is how you do it right here. Yeah. 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 Um, so we're, we're going to do this again. Um, we're going to talk about Born in the USA again. I, I, cause I, you know, I'm, of course, there's 52 weeks in a year. There's 26 letters in the alphabet. There's so I'm trying to hit every letter twice, uh, but I've had to break a few rules to do that. But I'm going to use the letter E for E Street, I think next. And uh, this one might be a B or it might be an S. I'm not sure. It should be a B. In in did you know that your grandpa sorts things phonetically instead of alphabetically? Yes. <laughs> you know, I remember when you told me that. And I was like, I was too young to even care. I was like, oh, maybe. We were outside Sobeys, uh, <laughs> driving. To, we were living in the old house, so probably yeah. like twelve years old. And yeah, you told me that. And, okay. Well, it looks way better. I'll give it. it that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I'll give it that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's well, not the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. Now that now that I have uh, eighteen hundred albums, I can't redo it. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> true. You know, I, 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 I. Okay, I'll tell you now. I'm going to fess up. So I envision a day when you have passed. I will take the time, <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. That would be fun. Yeah, all right, well. Well, because I'm going to have to look through them all and probably play them all in order anyway. That's so. funny. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'll, and I'll or, or I'll leave them. Maybe I'll resort mine. In, in and, memory, <laughs> in yeah, memory. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah it's, well, that would be a, that would it's be hard. Good. You got to know where to look. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I, I would, um, I, I have this sort of vision that um, 
that when I, you know, if I retire with, with a, a life of leisure ahead of me, I can't imagine it happening, but if it ever does happen, um, I want to listen to my entire record collection from A to Z. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Every, that every sounds, record. that sounds like cool. a, a good task. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'd like to do that too. And I think, uh, no, maybe we can just do that together. Cause if I do, if I play my cards right, you know, I can retire early and you can, <laughs> True. and, right. uh, but then like Willie Nelson says, retire to what? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's going to go play some music and yeah. listen to music, <laughs> do it, scan some photos. I think that's, that's going to be my next yeah. task. I, I got to get some of the, I got to digitize properly. Some of the, some of the videos and the, and the photos a bit, but, uh, but that's speaking of, I do have the, a roll of film, um, developed. I don't know if I did just like from the Springsteen show that we saw in oh. three or four. Yeah. Whenever he that's was here cool. on that rising tour. Yeah. <laughs> got, got a few shots from uh stage right there when we were that's sitting cool. up in there. Were, were you on the, on the floor or were you up in the stands too for Bruce and Calgary? Um, no, I've, I've never, the closest I've ever been was, um, the last tour when we saw him on the, uh, with the seven, the eighteen-piece band, right? Um, and we were on the so uh, Clarence's side, stage left, stage right. Uh, stage right, yeah, yeah. Get that right, yeah. Um, uh, where Susie was, mm-hmm. so and we were like uh, maybe thirty or forty feet away from Susie. Okay, cool. Yeah, really nice. close. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and that was uh, Pam was wearing her. Um, um, or uh, stone pony jacket. Nice. Oh, <laughs> and they, they did, they talked about, they were talking about uh, Asbury park. And of course, Pam held up her jacket and, and Susie yeah. was looking over at the R side. She points out. Goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I thought we're in Canada. You can't have one of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I'll never forget. Cause yeah, when I first saw him on, on, in 93 or whatever on the, on the human touch lucky town tour with the other band, uh, we could talk for yeah. a long time about them, but, um, I, I was behind the stage, like, you know, because it was sold out, right? So, oh, yeah. uh, Uncle Rob and I, and I guess Andy Stewart, were, I think they might have been on the floor, and but we were behind. And, uh, but I'll never, like, like, like Bruce is like, you know, he's running around the stage and he's yeah. like, you know, pumping his fist. And I, I swear he looked right at me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, he probably didn't, but I yeah. still feel like he did. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the, you know, the, the, the mark of a great entertainer, right? Yeah. They'll play to every person in that room, yeah, and that's true. what we all aspire to. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, yeah, I think we better <laughs> shut down. Hour and a half, but hey, that's okay. It's that's Father's Day. It's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's we, what it, it's what it deserves. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. If not more. So I think Conan and I are going to go watch. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll go put on the uh, the concert. I've got the five point one surround hooked up, and uh, we'll good. we'll watch a little bit of uh, Hammersmith Odeon and. Nice. Uh, yeah, for sure. What are you gonna do for the rest of the day? Um, not too much. Probably just get out with the out in the sunshine with the dogs. Hopefully. Right on. Yeah. See, that's what we need. We need like big giant TVs with big speakers outside. Mm-hmm. Well, outside, it's like a drive-in yeah. theater, a walk-up theater. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, because I think I'd spend far more time outside if I had a nice TV and stereo <laughs> up there. Yep. Uh, so right on. Well, thanks for, for everyone for uh, suffering through this uh, edition of uh, this road <laughs> is mine. Kerry Hendricks, Cohen Hendricks, Brent Bexton. All right. Uh, peace out. Bruce! <laughs> <laughs>